<laughs> Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good? Like I know that uh, uh, some of you, maybe even many of you are grieving for what happened this week. Uh, I want you to know that uh, we consider you family. We truly do. Your family can not only praise for you, but grieves with you. We love you. Okay? We're with you. Um, I was uh, given a list of questions. Uh, this is the end of the series, so it was kind of hard, you know. I went back and forth through a few of them, and I decided to focus on this question. Why am I not happy? Um, I know that to some people that may sound like a very superficial question. Uh, I, I actually believe that it's very relevant, especially in our days. Um, some people think that it's not, you know. But some people think that God is not concerned uh, with our happiness. I actually heard a person say one day that God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And if you think about that, you know, I, I think that that's why a lot of people left the church years ago because they thought they had to make a choice between happy and holy. You know, but if you, if you study the Bible, you'll see that um, the Bible says that God made each one of us with a purpose. And if you live for that purpose, you're living for the glory of God. And when you live for the glory of God, it says your heart gets full of joy. So they actually go together. You can't have one without the other. So why are so many Christians unhappy? You know, why do people ask, why am I not happy? I think that, see, the short answer to that is, chances are you don't know what makes you happy. And this is why you're unhappy. You know, we can prove that, you know. Uh, everything that the human being does, does in the pursuit of happiness, everything. Every choice you make, it's either to get closer to happiness or to avoid something that will make you unhappy, which means you've been trying to be happy for a long time. So if you're not happy today, it may very well be because you don't know what makes you happy. So the real question is, what makes you happy? If you're in that case, if you're feeling unhappy, I'm glad you're here today because you're going to see today that it is actually God who provides the path to happiness and that Jesus knew better than anyone what makes you happy. So let me pray for us and let's analyze why are we not happy. Father, uh, I just want to thank you, Father, for your love, for your patience with us, uh, for everything that you teach us and for the fact that we're here today and we can study your word and praise you and sing to you how much we love you. Um, we need your Holy Spirit in our hearts today, Father. I know this seems to many people like a very superficial subject, but you will show us today how it is not. It's very profound and very important to you. So will you open our eyes today? Will you let us see why are we suffering from unhappiness so often in our lives? We want to put ourselves in your holy hands, Father. In the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, um, we're going to study today um, words that I'm sure you have heard before, you have read before, maybe you have studied before. Um, we're going to study the most famous sermon that Jesus Christ taught in the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's a sermon that goes through three chapters of the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. 
But we're going to concentrate in the beginning of chapter five in an area called the Beatitudes. Um, it is called Beatitudes because that first word that we read in each one of them, blessed, in Latin was Beati Sunt, Beati, Beatitudes. But do you know what the word in Greek is? The word in Greek is makarios, which translates literally to happiness, happy. And I just find it fascinating that Jesus began his longest sermon, his most important sermon, explaining to people what happy people live like. So you're going to hear from the mouth of Jesus Christ what happy people think like, act like, you know, be like. So you can use what we're about to study also as a way of checking yourself to see if you qualify as one of these people. But most important, at the end, we're going to realize that all of them have something in common, that if you embrace what it means, this may be the beginning of a deep change in your life. This can radically help you allow Jesus to change your life and live a happy life. So let's start with Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a, on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. I love this verse because when people ask me, why do you preach sitting down? I just tell them, I'm following the master. You know? He sat down to teach, so so the way. And here comes the first one, okay? Verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, sometimes Jesus begins his sermons and he goes building them up. You know, he starts with little and then he goes in crescendo. But here, he starts with the most important one of all. From this one, the rest of them flow. Okay? Uh, immediately, you know, he, he's destroying great myths about where happiness comes from. Because there's a group of people that believe that happiness comes from having a lot of wealth, having a lot of things. And they are pursuing happiness by acquiring a lot of things. Now, there's a big group of people that think the opposite of that. They think, no, 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 no. To, to be happy, you have to have nothing. They even make vows of poverty and they get rid of all their possessions because they believe that is the path to happiness. But what Jesus said here is it has nothing to do with that. So you know, blessed or happy are the people that are poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means people that understand their need of God. They understand that everything comes from God and they need him for everything. So this is what I put in your notes. Happy are those who depend totally on God regardless of what they have. See, it doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you have a little, you know, you could be happy if you understood that all you really need is to have a relationship with God. And see, this is very important for us, you know, because if, if you see the times that we're living in, you are bombarded all the time, all day long with messages that say, this is what you need to be happy. You want to be happy, you need to drive this car, you need to be able to eat these things. You know, they, they try to convince you that certain things that you can acquire are going to make you happy. And some of them even say half-truths. Half-truths are half-lies. Have you seen the, the, the last commercials of Expedia? They say... Things are not going to make you happy. Going to this place will. Traveling will make you happy. 
See, and the problem is, when you fall for that, when you start believing that lie, you're immediately going to start being unhappy. You know why? Because you're going to think that you are responsible for your happiness. You know, if you don't have the things that will make you happy, you don't have the ability to produce the wealth that will make you happy. So it's a weight that you can't possibly carry. See, you need to understand that this is a trap, that you cannot decide the outcomes of things. This is what the Bible calls the deceit or deceitfulness of wealth. You know, they try to make you believe that things will make you happy. But see, this is why I believe that the, the unhappy people are divided in two groups. There's a small group that have a lot of things. They have reached what they call success and they realize that they're still not happy. So they know now that it's not things. But there's a very large group that have very little. And they think it's because they don't have enough that they're not happy, so they blame themselves. They don't have the ability to create wealth, so they are unhappy. Now, you know what's interesting? There's also very happy people that are very wealthy, and very happy people that are not wealthy which means it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters how you use it. Who leads you? Who do you depend on? So happy people are the people that totally depend on God when they have little or when they have a lot. Because there are people that they depend on God when they have little, but once they start having, they stop. They now think that it was up to them. So you are going to be happy when you understand that you need to always, for everything, depend on God, regardless of circumstances. Verse 4 gives us the next one. says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this, this one is a, it's a tough one. We live in times where society is trying to convince us that this life is about having fun. It's about enjoying everything around you. You know, these people who mourn are people that are emotionally connected, are people that understand that there's death, there's pain, and it's part of life. You know, they, they are willing to go through those emotions holding God's hand when they lose people that they love. But with the society tries to convince us that we should not suffer ever, See, we have people, I have people in Cancun that tell me, you know, that when people that are close to them die, or even people that they love, they don't really want to go to the funeral. They don't want to go there to just suffer. Or, or they just go long enough for people to see them, and then they try to run away as fast as they can, because, you know, they don't want to be aware of the fact that people die. And that's really, you know, counter-Bible teaching. Because the Bible all the time tells you, be aware of the fact that you're here for very little time. The more you're aware of that, the more you're going to enjoy while you're here. And what Jesus is saying is, if that is your attitude toward death and suffering, you're never going to be really happy. You're not going to endure true happiness. You know, and, and, and I found, find it very interesting that psychology takes a long time, but it ends up catching up with the Bible. You know what the psychologists will tell you today? A person that refuses to face their painful emotions eventually will become dysfunctional. So 
those emotions will stay there and they will fester and eventually they will come out and they will destroy in the process of coming out. Sometimes relationships, sometimes careers, but you become very dysfunctional. But those who are willing to face those emotions, holding onto God's hand and supported by a network of loving people, those will be comforted. See, and, and, and see, this might be a warning to you. What I put in the program is this, the fear of suffering can rob you of the joy of living. If you're too afraid to suffer, you're never going to really live. This is why people have very superficial relationships because real relationships hurt. You have to understand who you are and allow God to change you in order to have a good relationship with someone else. So if you're afraid of that pain, you're going to be jumping from relationship to relationship and you're never going to truly have a good relationship. I mean, isn't it true that people that are happy it's not that they're happy because they have never suffered, but because they learned to deal with the pain and they were comforted and now they can truly enjoy happiness. So happy are those that are emotionally connected and are willing to go through these experiences. Verse number five says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. I think the problem that we have with this, um, this verse is the word meek. You know, it has a negative connotation. If you go to the dictionary, it says that it means submissive. And that's not something that you want related with your character, right? I mean, if you went to a job interview and they said, describe yourself in one word, would you say, I'm very submissive? You wouldn't do that, right? The problem is that we try to equate meekness with weakness. But Jesus tells us that being meek, being humble, you know, be a humble person, it's a very strong characteristic that you should have in your character if you understand what true meekness is. See, being meek means that you understand your real value within the context of God's creation. You understand, you know, the reality of who you are. You're comfortable with yourself within you know, the, the role that God has for you to play in his plan. Because you understand that everything that you have, everything that you are was given to you by God specifically to fulfill a purpose. But you understand that he did the same with everyone else. So you don't feel that you're above anyone or that you're below someone else. So you don't have to be trying to prove yourself to show the other people that you're someone. You're comfortable with who you are within God's plan. You know? So, you know, that means that we are all equal. We just have different responsibilities in God's plan. The opposite of that is proud people. Proud people spend their life trying to prove that they're something, you know, that they're above other people. And that makes them very unhappy. I'm gonna tell you why in a second, but first I wanna tell you what I put in your notes. Happy are those who realize they are a part of creation, but not the center of creation. See, you're going to be a lot happier when you realize that this world is not about you. You're not the center of the universe. See, you'll be aware that everything you have comes from God. You know, everything, your opportunities, the people that he put around you, but they were given to you in order to fulfill a plan that will give God glory. These are not for your glory. 
It's for God's glory. Okay? And then if you see that, then you're going to think, I'm going to use all my resources to glorify God. See, the problem with people that are proud, I'm going to tell you how many of us live our lives when we're in the proud season of our lives. You think that your life is a movie and you're the leading actor. No? The leading actress. And everyone else around you, there are some supporting characters, but most of them are just extras. Right? The problem with that is that if you feel that way, if you see life that way, you're expecting everyone around you to live according to the script that you wrote for them. The problem is that they feel the same way. They think they are the leading actor and they want to live according to the script they wrote. This is the problem in many relationships. We write the expectations that we have of the other person. You know, we have to live according to God's script, not ours. But when you think that you are the leading actor, you're going to be angry. You're going to demand that other people live the way that you want them to live so that you are happy. You make them responsible for your happiness. God already wrote the script for you. So the moment that you understand that, you're going to want to live for God's plan for you. You know why? Because God knows better than you what makes you happy. He wrote a script for you that knows is going to make you happy. So the people that understand that, they're happy. Because they live for that. Verse number six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, this is, this is one of the tough ones because we understand it, but we have a very hard time fulfilling it. See, righteousness means to do the right thing before God's eyes. Okay, so this is what this verse means. Happy are those who are committed to do and stand for what is right before God's eyes. See, happy are the people that always do the right thing, even if doing the right thing comes with a high price. Always stand up for what is right, even if it's unpopular, and everyone around you will boo you. See, a person that hungers for righteousness, before they make every decision, they ask the question, what is the right thing to do here? And they take action. And you know why they're happy? Because they have a clear conscience. They can sleep at night. And don't take my word for that. Just analyze what has happened in your own life. Can you remember times in your life when you knew the right thing to do, but you did the wrong thing and that made you unhappy? Created problems, situations, stress in your life that caused unhappiness? Yeah, I, I don't know if you go through this exercise, but every once in a while I think, if I could only go to the past, I would change. Have you gone through that exercise? And have you noticed that you have to keep going further back and back and back and back and back? <laughs> in my case, it's because I think, if I could only change this, oh, but then I wouldn't have these kids. Oh, well, I'll change this. Oh, maybe I wouldn't marry Karina. If I change it, no, no. So I end up concluding I need to be born again, you know, but, but when you really think if I could go back to the past and change this one fact, isn't it true that it's when you did something that was the wrong thing to do and cost you unhappiness? So no one in the right mind would think if I could only go to the past, I will get myself into more trouble. I will do worse things. The other way around, you think, no, I, I, I would do things 
that will bring me happiness, that, that will not have caused these circumstances. And the best part is the end because it says, because they will be filled, they will receive righteousness. Verse number seven says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So how are we merciful? See, God taught us mercy. How? He treats us the way we need instead of the way we deserve. You know, if we're treated by God the way we deserve, we'd all be fried, right? So he's merciful and he treats us the way we need. So when we behave the same way, we're being merciful. So what is Jesus saying? Happy are those who extend love and forgiveness to others, even, and you can substitute the word even with especially when they don't deserve it. See, happy are the people that just because someone treats them bad, they don't treat them bad back. You know, they're not trying to seek revenge. They, they decide to forgive. So they're not, they're not bitter because they are keeping score of everything that has been done to them. And these are things that we really know in our hearts, don't we? I mean, how many people you know that are bitter and happy? Think about it. I mean, bitter people seems like they drink vinegar every morning and they come out with this face and they're always angry and no. They can't possibly be happy. Happy people are people that understand that the best policy, the best thing to do is to listen to the Bible. Jesus taught us we forgive, the, you know, forgive our sins and we'll forgive the people that sins against us. And the problem is a lot of people think that that's something very hard to do. They say, um, I just can't forgive this person. You don't know what this person did to me. I cannot forgive them. See, that is lack of understanding of how God relates to us. Everything that God says in the word for you to do as a command, it's for your own good. He's not telling you to forgive the other person for the other person's sake. It's for your own sake, for your own good. What happens if you don't forgive someone? You know what you do? You're just playing a tape in your head over and over and over and over, and you're making the pain stay. Jesus says, let go. Stop suffering. Why are you hurting yourself? So you're just embittered. Bitterness is a very strange thing, you know? It's like drinking poison, hoping the other one's gonna die. You know? You're just doing it to yourself, you know? So we need to truly show mercy to other people. And listen, I'm not saying that you have to allow people to abuse you. You know, if you are in a job or in a relation but the other person is abusive, that doesn't mean you have to just take it. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness, forgiveness is about letting go of the pain that the hurt that they caused you caused you. Restoring a relationship is a different thing. It has to do with something completely different. But letting go of what they did to you that's forgiveness. That's mercifulness. And the end of that passage also said, and then you will be shown mercy. This next one is, it, it's so important and it's one of the ones that, you know, it, it touches my heart profoundly because as a pastor, 
I am at the front row of the life of a lot of people and I see how much this one causes pain in the life of people because it's not that they don't understand it, it's that they're having a hard time dealing with it. Verse eight says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. See, wouldn't you love to be able to, when you have a choice, know which one to pick that will bring the best results, the happiest results, the more successful results, true success, you know, in God's eyes, success. This is what this one is talking about. See, I have a lot of people that sometimes in counseling, and I would call it counseling, but it's really a, a crying session, after they have made a mess of their life, and they have lost their mate or their relationship with their kids or with their parents or with their best friends or they're messed up completely their career, they come and say to me, I don't understand how could I allow this to have happened? I don't understand how could I have not seen this coming? How could I have been so blind? Why didn't I have the clarity to say, no, thank you, or I'm not going, or just get out of there, or, or choose not to pursue this path? And, and they don't like the answer. Because see, the reason why lots of people take the wrong path is because their heart, their mind, is full of dirt. It's full of mud. See, the Bible says you need to live with a pure heart, but in our society, we don't even use that word. People don't understand it, they mock it. If you try to tell people, oh, you have to have a pure heart, they, they will make fun of you. So we live in a world that is surrounded by dirt. We live in the middle of the dirt. So what is Jesus trying to tell you? I put this in your program. Happy are those who filter what goes into their heart for they will see God's path. See, the clarity that you need in order to make the right decisions comes from moral purity. And, and the sad thing, you know, in regards to this one is that a lot of people learn this the hard way. You know, they don't understand it until it's too late. They are so used to being surrounded by dirt, by impurity, that they don't realize it anymore. See, the people that they hang out with, the things that they see all the time, the places that they frequent all the time, they're seeing things that the Bible calls wrong done all the time. So you start escalating and escalating and escalating and doing things and seeing them as normal. And then when you make a complete mess of your life, they wonder, how did this happen? Well, you allowed so much dirt into your heart, it was bound to come out. It was bound to cause a mess. Your heart is not pure. And listen, to some of you, this is very real and very important because you may be about to make a very important decision, maybe an ethical decision or a moral decision or a relational decision. And I'll tell you what start happening. You start thinking in your heart, I'm gonna miss out. I'm sure I'm missing something out. You know, and you know why this is so hard? Because no one out there tells us that that's wrong. The other way around, they're trying to talk you into doing the wrong things all the time. I mean, have you noticed how normalized are things that the Bible calls wrong in advertisement? Everything is sexualized. You know, one of the questions was, why is it wrong to watch porn? How normalized is that that you start thinking that that's okay? 
that it's not going to fill your head with mud. It's going to make a mess of your relationships because we're bombarded all the time with people telling us it's fine. And then you're convinced and you go like, yes, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. And, and, and look at all these people. They, they're having fun. Doesn't look like they're hurting. I mean, they look so successful, so enjoying their life. Please listen to me. A person that lives their life always doing things that the Bible calls wrong are going to have a mess in their life if they don't have one already. You can't see into their hearts. You don't know the brokenness, the emptiness, you know, of the next morning. You don't see that part. You just see them while they're partying and, you know, fake happiness. If you live like that, you are on your way to crash. So this is like a man that is falling off a very high building and somebody in the 20th story says like, how you doing? And he says, so far, so good. It's gonna crash against the floor. If you live against the Bible, you will crash. Jesus says, no, 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 listen to me. You need to purify your mind. You need to renew your mind. You need to think my thoughts. I have tons of things for you to enjoy. You don't need to experiment everything in the world to, to, to enjoy your life. You will have the clarity to see that Jesus is trying to lead you into happiness. Happy are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will be able to see what the decisions are going to lead them to. And you know what's the hardest part? Isn't it easier to see it in other people's lives? I mean, when you're watching movies and you see they're about to make a decision, you're like, no, 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 no. But then you go. You will see God if you start making a covenant with God that any impurity that may come, you're going to pass it on to him and help you clean your mind. Verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Why are they going to be called children of God if they're peacemakers? Just think about everything that God did for you. Absolutely everything God did. You know, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, live a perfect life, die on the cross, resurrection. All his redemptive plan was to restore peace with his creation. So when you are a peacemaker, when you work for restoring peace, with other people, you're acting like God. And this one, just as the other ones, you can flip it and see how it works. How many people that are all the time picking up fights with everyone around them you think are happy? There's always someone like that, no? You know people that are all the time picking up fights, you know, maybe at work, maybe at school, they, they have a pickle with everyone around them. And if you're thinking, I don't know anyone like that, it might be you, you know? so. Pay attention to the way that you are living your life, you know? <laughs> but see, these people cannot possibly be happy. Actually, isn't it true that it's because they are unhappy that they're all the time picking up fights? That's the way unhappiness operates. Um, uh, you probably have heard of Joyce Meyer, the author. You know, I once heard her say that, you know, in the beginning of her marriage, she said, I was so unhappy. And it would bother me the most is how happy my husband Dave was. So, so I decided if I'm not happy, he's not going to be happy either. So I started attacking him as much as I could. You know, that's how unhappy people 
operate. You know, they, they are not happy that you're happy. But she says, and that lasted until one day, her husband Dave came and said, Joyce, I am going to be happy whether you choose to be happy or not. Just that day changed my life. I realized I was choosing to be unhappy by picking war. There's no way that happiness was going to come out of war. And I started working for peace. And from that day on, our marriage became a very happy marriage. So this is what this means. Happy are the reconcilers. You know who are the reconcilers? Reconcilers are people that when they see a relationship that it's about to break, you know, or it's in trouble, they immediately try to restore it. They immediately try to reconcile. In other words, these are people that when somebody attacks them, snaps at them, they don't immediately snap back, which is our natural tendency, you know? If you haven't done anything to a person, they come in, you immediately answer the same way. A reconciler is a person that when somebody, you know, snaps, instead of engaging in a fight, they go like, is, is everything all right? Are you okay? Did I do something to you or what, what happened here? I, mean, I don't know if you have tried that, but you should see the change in the person when you do something like, you're opening the door for reconciliation. And when you're like, are you okay? Usually they go like, no, I'm so sorry, it's just that. And they open their heart and usually end up closer to you than before. These are the reconcilers. Okay, so we need to work for reconciliation. And this last one, this is the hardest one in, in our head to assimilate. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't seem to make sense. I'm going to be happy when they persecute me? You know, how does that work? Well, first, we have to understand what it, it's saying, persecuted for, because of righteousness. If they persecute you because you're a jerk, that doesn't count, okay? It, righteousness means when you act the right way, when you do the right thing before the eyes of God, what we just saw, you know, righteousness, okay? What is persecution here, today? Because I'm not talking about, you know, people trying to kill you because you're a Christian, that even though it happens sometimes, you know, you know, most of the times we can enjoy of that freedom in this country. You know what persecution is? Persecution here is when you lose a job because you're not willing to do what the company is asking you to do because it's the wrong thing. When you're, they pass you for a promotion because you're not willing to lie when you lose friends because you're not willing to participate, you know, when, when they kind of like ostracize you because you're doing the right thing. That's persecution. So now the question is, how's that supposed to make me happy? How's that going to produce happiness in the end? I'll tell you how, see. Um, what Jesus wants you to keep in mind, and this is a central part of the New Testament, is this. You are going to be persecuted in this life for doing the right thing or the wrong thing. So if you always do the wrong thing, they are going to persecute you and maybe put you in jail. And if you do the right thing, they're going to persecute you. The people that don't like it, they're going to persecute you. But only one of them brings out happiness. Why? See, one of the things that um, confuses us 
is that we think that what we're looking for is happiness. You know what we're looking for really is? You're looking for peace. When you're at peace, you're happy. When you're at peace with yourself, in peace with others, at peace with God, which the peace with God usually provides the peace with yourself and with others, then you're happy. Well, if you are persecuted for doing the right thing, you're at peace with yourself, you're at peace with God, and you're at peace with the right people. You might not be at peace with the ones that are persecuting you, but those are not the important ones in your life. You know, so you are completely at peace. It is impossible to be persecuted for doing the wrong thing and be happy because you don't have peace with yourself or with God. Okay, so what this means is happy are those who receive bad consequences because of their obedience to Jesus. That is going to give you true peace and happiness. Now, all of this, you know, these are brilliant. You know, you, you may not believe in Jesus, but you cannot argue with his logic, which goes on to show you he has a very good perspective on how we operate as human beings. But the question here is, what do all the Beatitudes teach us? You know, what is the conclusion to this? See, this is, this is so important that so this concept that I'm about to say, you'll either embrace it and your life will begin to change or you're going to crash against it for the rest of your life. This is what it means. Happiness is the result of a way of life. Is the result of a way of life. That means happiness is something that if you begin to take action today, if you're unhappy today, go through all these eight blessings and figure out which ones are not you. And then you start working, taking action on them, and eventually they're going to produce something that you're going to enjoy permanently. See, that's the bad news of today. Happiness cannot be accessed immediately. It's not something that happens instantaneously. That is the trap of sin. This is what sin promises you. You do this, you're gonna be happy. But it doesn't fulfill the promise. It doesn't happen that way. You know, you, you, you can't come here and listen to a sermon or a song or read a book or have someone pray for you and then you're gonna be happy. You can't enter here at 11.30 and happy and walk out at 12.45 happy. It's not gonna happen. Okay, that's not the way it works. But you need to realize that sometimes we think that way to avoid it. See, a lot of people think that way. A lot of people in Cancun, they come to me when they have made a mess of their lives and they come and say like, I'm back. I lost my marriage. Tell me, what do I do? What do you mean? Where do I serve? How do I have God restore my marriage? So they think that God is going to make a magic wand on top of them and their marriage is going to be restored. But it doesn't work like that. See, what we do is something that's called the, the law of the farm. You start sowing actions, ways of thinking, worldviews in your mind. You start renewing your mind. And eventually, you're going to reap happiness. The law of the farm says you sow in one season and you reap in a different season. It doesn't happen instantaneously. What a horrible word. <laughs> but see, this is the, the good news. 
that what Jesus is trying to tell you is you can begin to sow your way out of unhappiness today. You can begin to start planting these seeds in your life and eventually you're going to be happy. So look at all those eight things that we just saw and, and, and think of where are you? Do you think you're the center of the world? You, know, do you, do you think that you don't deserve to be treated in a certain way so you can attack people that attack you immediately back? Do you always try to do the right thing? You know, are you at peace with yourself? Are you comfortable in your own skin? God made you perfect for his purpose. Are you trying to fulfill somebody else's purpose? Or are you allowing him to work in yours? You have to make the decision to make whatever changes you need to make in your life. By the grace of God, purify your heart. Filter what goes into your heart. You may have to change friends. You may have to change even work. But you need to purify your heart because happiness is a result. And this is what Jesus wanted you to keep in mind because you know how that sermon ends. If you go to the end of the sermon in chapter 7, Jesus ends with a parable that we have heard many times. He says these words in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Did you hear that? It doesn't say everyone who hears these words and underlines them on their Bible. And goes on to the small group and talks about them. And when the pastor says them, not saying, yeah, he's right. You know? No. It says, puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built. Built his house on the rock. See, when you build a house, that's a process. It takes time. You know? And if you build it on the rock, setting the foundation takes longer. But that's what Jesus is saying. You have to build your house in the right foundation. You have to begin the project of construction of your life based on the right things, and you will reap happiness. So Jesus is saying, from now on, adopt this practice. Start the project. Nothing will change immediately, but something will change eventually. But look at the other side of the coin. Verse 26 of Matthew 7 says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. You know what this means? It means you don't get brownie points for coming to church. You can come every Sunday and just hear these words and not wisely looking, you know, and not put them into practice and it's not going to work. Because you need to do. There's no reward for listening to things. And, and the, the interesting thing is this. This is a foolish man who built his house. It's also a process. It takes work to mess up your life. So why don't work in the right things? Wouldn't you want to be happy? And this is important. Because you know the end of that parable. A storm was coming. You know, as it's coming for all of us. Storms are on the horizon. And, and, and Jesus says, and the storm came and hit both homes. Did you hear that? You know, the Bible doesn't promise you, but if you follow me, the storm will go and do like this and miss your house. The storm will hit 
But the one who built on the right foundation and built the house, the house stood standing, stayed there. And the other guy was left with nothing but regret. So remember this. Happiness is the result of a way of life. It's not the result of one action, one thing that you do. Things will never make you happy. It's the way that you live your life. And you know what's the best part of this? And the reason why we do come every Sunday to church is because Jesus came up with a marvelous way for us to be able to reach this goal of happiness. He said, you want to be happy? Follow me. Just follow me. I'll be the way. I'll give you light. I'll be your strength. I'll give you my spirit to guide you, but just follow me. So if you really are as interested in your happiness as God is interested in your happiness, make it a commitment. I'm going to start following Jesus from now on every day of my life and with every decision that I make in my life. And I can guarantee you, you will be happy. That doesn't mean life is going to be easy. But this is why the Bible says that Jesus' followers can be happy regardless of circumstances because they live this way. Let's pray. Father, um, we just want to thank you for your words because it is so hard for us, Lord, to disconnect our eyes from the things of this world. We have so many bad influences around us trying to lead us into the wrong path that many of us, when we realize, are already taking them. I ask you, Father, for every person that is listening to these words, that you will fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, give us the strength and wisdom and light enough so that we can see the right path. Help us go back into these eight blessings that you talked about and allow you to work them in our hearts so that we can produce in our lives your glory and our happiness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.